You're listening to The Rick Z Show, but I am not Rick Z. My name is Maggie Rothwell, fellow songwriter, musician, and friend of Rick Z's. And today we're turning the tables and giving The Rick Z Show a twist by interviewing Rick for a change. Rick! Welcome to the Rig Z Show. Oh, it's great to be here. It's weird. I'm on the other side. What's going on? I'm, whoa. Okay. But it, it's fun. Well, it's going to be a great, great time. Going to look, get to learn a lot about you for a change. I hope I learned something about me too. <laughs> Tell us about your early years and how you came to songwriting and performing. Mm, my early years, you know, like when I was a kid? Sure. Well, my dad was a big influence on me because he was a big fan of music, and he would always bring albums home and play them, and I was right there to discover every little thing about them, whether it was the Beatles or the Beach Boys or the Bee Gees, there were a lot of Bs, <laughs> and also doo-wop music, and Dion was one of my favorites, and I loved all that stuff, and the Shirelles, and I guess a lot of stuff that my dad liked, the Drifters, and bands like that. By the time I was a teenager, I had plenty of my own tastes. Billy Joel was a big, mm. big um, influence at that time, and I was discovering James Taylor, mm. and, and then Elvis Costello, and, and uh, my tastes started to evolve a little bit, mm-hmm. and I started writing songs on my own. I mean, I had been writing songs in one fashion since I was eight years old, wow. but... I started to take it seriously when I was maybe 14 or 15 and really just try to figure out how to write songs. And at that point, I was, I guess, off to the races and just mm-hmm. trying to do better work each time. Mm-hmm. That's great. Great groups. Your dad had great taste in music. Oh, yeah. And as you developed, you definitely did, too. That's awesome. So who would you say your songwriting influences are? Well, it's changing all the time. Uh, it never stays the same. I, I accumulate them, and they, they kind of all stay in my heart, but I, I move on where I, they're, they're not challenging to my ear anymore. I've kind of taken something from them mm-hmm. and all that I can, and, and then I need something new to inspire me. But like I said, when I was a kid, the, all of those groups, the Beatles, you know, when I was a kid, the Beatles were so cool to listen to Mm -hmm. they were so inventive and these great sounds i never heard anything like it absolutely just like you hear everybody say it it's so true and the beach boys too Mm -hmm. had a a big influence on me but like i said by the time i was in junior high maybe high school i was listening to Jimi hendrix and Mm. uh elvis costello and jackson brown and Mm. james taylor i liked the songwriters billy joel guys that could sing right and play their instruments like like Billy Joel, and can write these these really great rock songs. And that really appealed to me. And then it changed after that again. And I have so many influences, I can't name them all, from Ray Charles to mm. Jim Croce. To, um, it just goes on and on. And once I discovered jazz, um, I don't know how much jazz influenced my music, per se, but it became the stuff I wanted to listen to more than anything else. And then later, country music. Mm. And that has had an effect on my music. And Johnny Cash is, Ooh, yeah. uh, I would consider him an influence now. So so it's always changing. So very eclectic. Yeah, I think very eclectic because my tastes are eclectic. I love the blues. I love reggae. I love to listen to old bluegrass. And I love rock and roll music. And mm-hmm. I'm passionate about jazz. So mm-hmm. it's all in the mix somewhere. That's great. Well, and it shows in your music, definitely. What kind of things, when you're going to write a song, what inspires your songwriting? Hmm. What inspires it? You know, it could be almost anything. Uh, sometimes I try little exercises, like I wrote this song about Johnny Cash. It's hmm. called Cool Like Johnny Cash. And <laughs> it was just an exercise. How many things rhyme with cash and how many funny verses can I come up with? 
Sometimes writing is just an exercise. Sometimes I'll say, you know what, I'm going to write a song about a dinosaur today, you know, and that, <laughs> and just experiment and try to stretch myself a little. Hey, do I think I could write one of those bluegrass songs that mm. I, I like? You know, so sometimes songs happen like that. Other times I'm inspired by the same things that inspire anybody to do anything, like when you're in love or when you break up with somebody mm. and you have to write about them that's if that's your expression your mm-hmm. form of expression mm-hmm. and writing songs is mine so the same things that move your average person move me to write songs mm-hmm. but then there's all that experimentation that i like like let's try to write a song about a mannequin <laughs> you know so uh, i'd like to hear that song yeah oh it exists <laughs> it's a real song Because I don't like songs to necessarily be cliche and cling to. You're not. You're not going to say anything that hasn't been said before. But you have a chance of saying it your own way. Right. Is Is there anything 
that you try to stay away from, like political songs or... I don't write a lot of political songs. When I was 22, I, I wrote a slew of them, mm. and, and I didn't know what I was talking about. I just, mm. I liked that I was the kind of songwriter that, that wrote stuff like this, you mm-hmm. know? I don't know how much it really meant to me. It was an image or something okay. like that. And I don't really do it, but if something, some social ill that irks me creeps up Mm -hmm. i'll write about it sure i I don't write a lot of love songs Mm. i'm not really sure why Mm. but we'll have to delve into that (laughs) at a a later date Um, obviously write a lot of hate songs (laughs) (laughs) you haven't uh, you haven't said anything about bob dylan What, what are your thoughts on dylan I love Bob Dylan. I love, I mean, any songwriter has got to love Bob Dylan at least a little bit. And I Mm -hmm. love him a lot. I Mm -hmm. mean, I have 35 or 36 Bob Dylan CDs. And I listen to Dylan all the time. He was never somebody that influenced me as I was growing up. And when I was really learning to write songs, Dylan wasn't really on my radar. Mm. In the periphery. I knew a lot of the songs, mm-hmm. but I didn't listen to a lot of Dylan. It wasn't until well, probably 20 years ago that I started to really love Bob Dylan's music. Yeah. Whatever way, I'm sure he's had an influence on me as his music trickled down through right. through the ages and influenced right. everybody. Right. Yeah, definitely. So when you're writing a song, do you have any sort of formula or a process? Yeah, I, I do. And that process has changed a lot over the years, too. I have to kind of feel a song coming, and it's in the distance, and I know what to do. I sit on my bed with my guitar, and I just strum chords, and I key into certain chords that I hit, like, ah, mm-hmm. that's that's synthesizing the feelings I'm feeling. And it slowly forms a chord progression. As the chord progression is forming, I'll sing little melodies over top of mm-hmm. it until I find what I'm trying to say, I guess, musically. And then when that's all locked in, and this could be many nights in a row of doing this mm-hmm. be- before it locks in or before the ideas come to me, then I spend the next uh, two years trying to write the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it takes me forever to write the lyrics. That's funny. And I care about the lyrics. I, I want to articulate what I'm saying in a language other than music. I, I, I want the lyrics to be there. But it's the bane of my existence trying to articulate myself exactly. You figure if you're going to sing these words for a long time, you've right. got to b- believe them, I guess. Right. And if you want others to believe them, do you collaborate with anybody, either with lyrics or, or music, or it's all just Rick Z? Well, I, I've written songs with a lot of people uh, a handful of people five six seven people maybe mm-hmm. i've attempted and maybe we've written one to three songs a piece but there is a duo otis and melvin my friend doug is the only one i can write these songs i don't know anyone else i i follow into the, the places of madness that <laughs> doug goes it's great uh, i write most of the music we collaborate on all the lyrics mm-hmm. equally He'll suggest things about the music, put it in a different key or play slower or things like that. And and it's really the only successful partnership I've had writing songs. Mm. And it's lasted since, I don't know, 1986. Wow. Wow. All right. That's great. Do you? So you mentioned your guitar. Do you play other instruments too? I, I don't know why. I thought you played drums. I play a little drums. I'm not. I don't consider myself a drummer. I don't own a drum. I never lived anywhere I could have a drum kit. Okay. Yeah. You know, so I never get to practice, but I could keep a beat because I'm a rhythm guitar player. I'm not a soloist, so 
the rhythms that I play. I'm essentially a frustrated drummer playing drums on his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of my style of playing, I guess, by now. I do play a little bass, little keyboards. Okay. I don't consider myself either of those things, but I'm constantly trying to challenge myself to, to play new things and to write songs where I could come up with parts on bass or on piano mm -hmm. and record them myself. I'm doing that right now for the very first time, and it's my way of kind of investing myself into the songs a little bit deeper, and it's good to stretch. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So you had said your songwriting has changed over the years. If you look back through different time periods of your life, how would you explain how you came to where you are now and what kind of incarnations you've had along the way? Wow. Um, <laughs> my... First of all, my songs are a lot more sarcastic now. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, I would listen to my older material sometimes from when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. And a lot of my songs sound sarcastic to me now looking back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm being serious. Mm, mm, <laughs> it sounds sarcastic, but <laughs> I'm being serious, you know. That is how I really saw the world, you know. The way you see the world is reflected in your songs. And when I hear my early stuff, I, I see a, a kid that looked at the world differently mm. than, than this person does now. Right. And that's how my songs have changed. And also, the structure has changed a little bit because I, I learn more about songwriting and I listen to other wider ranges of music and I'm a better songwriter because of that stuff. I, the construction of the song is just, they're, they're better songs. I wish I could go back and just get rid of all of my, <laughs> all of my old songs. No one would know that I had that stage where I only played things in C. <laughs> I didn't notice it then. When I look back, I see that I would write 10 songs and only one of them would last. Uh. One of them would be good. But I was writing every single thing that came to my mind. And I don't do that now. I write the things that are most important to me that I know I'm, I'm going to finish and, and like. So it's changed a lot in that way. And I write a lot less. I used to write a song almost every day. Wow. In 1990, I, I wrote like 100 songs. Wow. And, you know, this year I've, well, this year I've written none so far. Last year. Well, it's only February. It's only February. <laughs> That's true. Each year, maybe a handful of songs. All right. Uh, but they're more selective. Right. And they're better songs. Right, the quality and the and the last the last can't imagine doing a hundred songs in one yeah, in one keep year. Keep in mind they weren't all good. <laughs> <laughs> how do you catalog your your songs? I mean, how how do you remember them when you're writing them? Do you record that yeah, you know, how does that part of the process work for you? Well, I make demos. Mm -hmm. I, I actually currently have no way of making demos because I'm caught between two worlds. I, I always put things on cassette tape. Mm. And I have just piles and piles of cassettes of songs. I have every song I've ever written somewhere on a cassette tape. Yeah. Anything new that I've written, and, and including, say, the last 25 songs I've written, I don't have any copies of. You know, wow. If, if, you know, if I fell off the face of the earth tomorrow, no one would know about <laughs> well, any of these songs. Please don't do that. No, I'm going to try hard <laughs> not to, mostly, so people can hear these songs. Yeah. Because some of them are my best, I think, or among my best. So at some point, i got to figure out how to record right. them. This is why I make albums, you know. No equipment to make demos anymore, so I, I make albums. So, and you just made an album, yes? I have a Rick Z album in the works. Okay. But I did release a project recently, 
and it's known as Otis and Melvin, and it's a whole different type of music, comedy music. So I try to keep a few irons in the fire, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's good for a songwriter to try to write a jingle one day, and try mm-hmm. to write a funny song right. one day, and try to write a serious song the next day, and do different things, and not, not stay in the same mode. Right. If you, if you could give us an example of a comedy song that's on your new album, like what's the title of one of them, or what's a lyric from one of them, just to let people know what, what you mean by a comedy song. Well, Otis and Melvin's new album, High on Cake. <laughs> that's, you know, it's, I, I like that title because it's somewhere between the innocent and the not so innocent. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. a children's album. <laughs> you know, a lot of children think it is, but it's not really. Oh, well, there's um, a song called Lemon Yellow Limo. Mm-hmm. There's another song on there called That's a Lovely Raincoat, Mrs. Bloom. <laughs> there's a hand-painted porcelain leopard print melon ball spoons. Um, 21 Light Years Beyond. That's very clever. That's funny. Bizarre stuff. Well, comedy songs. There you go. The Narwhal Gets the Eel. (laughs) Yeah. I think everyone should run out and buy it. I think so, too. (laughs) That's what I'll be doing right after. OtisandMelvin.com. Yeah. OtisandMelvin.com. And don't expect any of it to make sense. (laughs) That's that's part of the fun, right? Uh, I think so. That's part of the fun. So when you play out... Do you tend to play the originals? Do you play covers? And how how have you seen uh, the local music scene change over the years? Well, addressing the first part of the question, what what was the first part of the question? Just when you play out, do you play a oh. lot of originals? Do oh, you yeah. mix it up with covers? And and like what sort of what would a set list maybe look like for you? Well, my sets are very different now than they used to be. Mm-hmm. There was a time. I would push the original stuff really hard, and I would say three-fourths of the set was original material. At this point, it's the opposite of that. Mm. I would say only a quarter of what I do is original, and the rest are covers. I don't want to say I don't care about playing live. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do. But playing live in this area, for me, is mostly about earning the money it takes to go in and, and record my mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. It's still about my original material. That's number one to me. The gigs, the live gigs, they're to make money to do that. Mm-hmm. And we can do entertaining shows that have nothing to do with my own original music. But we throw them in there anyway mm-hmm. because we believe in the songs and right. we need more songs always. But I'm not sure it's that big a priority to me right now to play my original stuff live. Mm-hmm. When I finish an album, I'd like to have a band designed to play this original material. Mm-hmm. And then I can go out and maybe showcase, other than just in the Hudson Valley playing at a bar for three hours where, right. where nobody really cares what you play. Mm. And then take it to bigger venues, play in clubs, mm-hmm. maybe opening for people, uh, where your original stuff might be better appreciated. Right. Well, when you make it big, I'll open for you. How's that? Wow. Okay. I, <laughs> I think we'd be a pretty cool duo, actually. That'd I agree. Cool. I, that'd that, be cool. I, w- nice. I would love to open for you sometime. Wow, you're on. <laughs> well, you were talking before about uh, cassettes, how you have everything on, on cassettes. How do you think changes in technology have impacted how you make music, but also how people consume music? 
or huge changes and a huge impact. In terms of recording music, I'm still not used to recording digitally, mm. although I've been doing it longer than I was recording analog. Mm. But, you know, let's say a problem arises. When you had analog, you can take a look at the mechanism and say, oh, here's the problem. You just got to fix this lever and everything's going to be mm -hmm. fine. In the digital world, who knows what's going <laughs> on? They, uh, nobody knows how to fix anything. They just <laughs> unplug it and plug it back in. And that's, that's the that's all that's the best shot they have and i'm still not used to it it does make life easier and more organized and there are big big advantages to recording digitally as opposed to analog but i still feel like um I feel like I'm a little kid almost mm. that not quite ready to, to sit at the grown-ups table. Mm. Uh, I feel like I'm, I got my feet back in the analog world still. I'm still trying to figure this digital thing out. And right. I, I'm behind. Right. I'm be behind the curve. Selling music, it's technology has changed everything. It's dismantled the music business in mm. a way. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of ways not online to sell your mm -hmm. music. You can get do it the old-fashioned way and get in a van and get out there and <laughs> you know start start playing. But you're not going to reach as many people as you can reach online. But it's a double-edged sword because online that's where everybody's selling their wares. So right. you're you're kind of lost in the sauce. Right. There's advantages and disadvantages to technology uh, in any field, but in music for sure. The music business has changed drastically since I started. And I'm still trying to learn how to get a, a, a foothold in it. Right. I think that being able to buy the songs by themselves, like 99 cents a song type thing that I see a lot online, yeah. it, it's kind of gotten rid of the whole premise of planning an album. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great point. And absolutely. And to me, that's part of the art. Yes. And I miss that. I, I want to make an album. I want to say that. You know, people call it a record still sometimes. Right, and, right. And I think that's accurate because to me, well, Jackson Brown said one time in an interview, he said, I call it a record because it's a record of time. It's a time mm. period that I wrote these songs about and I'm releasing the record to kind of mark that time. It's a record of that time. And and that's a fair point. That's yeah, definitely. that's how I like to make albums is and I like sequencing them. Yes. But, you know, yeah. putting them in a certain order has an effect on the listener. Absolutely. It's a lost art now. It disturbs the flow. There you, is no flow. You, there right? is no flow because yeah. you, you pick one song completely yeah. by itself and, and listen to it. I mean, we had singles. We right. had forty fives. I used to right. buy forty fives like crazy. It was fun to listen to just one song. Right. But the art of making albums has changed. And sometimes the B-side would be the hit that they thought was going to be thrown away. On a 45, you know, the B-side sometimes would become more popular than what they thought was going to be the hit. A B-side was so cool yeah. to have a B-side. I always yeah. wanted to make a record and have a B-side. Yeah. Yeah. I never got to do that. And now if you just pick and choose at 99 cents a song, there are no B-sides anymore. We're going to be hearing some of your music throughout this podcast, but I think everyone wants to know, what's next for Rick Z, and how do you want to be remembered? Wow. Well, what's next? You never know. Uh, I'm, I, I'm mercurial this way. I wake up in the morning and I think, I'd like to do a standards album, you know, mm. or, or I say, you know what would be cool? Let's make a blues album. And how many blues musicians that I know that might make this album sound good? What I'm finding is you got to think it through, come up with your the thing you really want to do the most and, and commit to it and stay focused on that and not be scattered in too many directions. Mm -hmm. 
you can have a lot of desires, but you really got to focus on one for a while. And for me, it's the album I'm working on right now. It's called Nowhere at Home, and I'm working with Carl Frizzell. Mm-hmm. We call him Kentucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl is a great guitar player, like a bluegrass player, and he's my right-hand man for every gig that I do. Mm-hmm. And we're finally making an album together. We tried in the past and almost did it, but... This time we're actually doing it. Great. And we have this great female singer. Oh my gosh, Josie Grant. She just sings like you wouldn't believe. Nice. And she just makes every song I write, every note that I sing a little bit better wow. by having these great harmonies. And she's really something else. So that's the album we're making. Awesome. And so that's what I'm doing for now. Beyond that, I'm sure I'll think of something before this one's done. Mm-hmm. And how do you want to be remembered, do you think? The end of time. Not by the mannequin song. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to be known by that song. I wouldn't want to be known by any particular song. It's got to be like an albatross mm. around your neck for some songwriters that have so much better stuff than their popular songs. And they're always known. You always see when they die in, in the article, they'll mm-hmm. cite the, the songs that they know most people will know. Right. I would hate that, you know. I don't want to be known for something specific. I'd like to be known as a songwriter. Even in my personal life, if I could be known... I mean, everybody says, yeah, I'd like to be known as a kind and generous person that loved thy neighbor and <laughs> gave, you know, chocolate coins to everybody. <laughs> and and that would be wonderful. And I, I hope I am known that way, minus the chocolate coins. <laughs> but I'd like to be remembered as a songwriter. I always told people that if you ever wanted to know anything important about me, listen to my music. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We love you and we love your music. Really glad we got to spend this time together. Maggie, this has been great. So, thanks so much. Uh, the, the strangeness of being on the other side of the, <laughs> the desk, so to speak, is totally gone. You well, know? we appreciate what you do. You're always so supportive of all music, songwriting, musicians. You will obviously be remembered as a great songwriter, but a tremendous friend as well. Uh, you know, I really appreciate that. I hope that that's true because I do believe as a musician you have to help other musicians absolutely it's a big part of what makes this network of musicians anywhere anywhere across the world if you meet a musician you, you kind of feel that's right certain kinship with that's them. right we're in this together yeah together with rick z <laughs> <laughs> so stand down the crown and i'll be there soon
Thank you, Maggie. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Maggie Rothwell. Make sure you join us again next time for part two of Rick Z on The Rick Z Show, which will be hosted by Dan D'Elia. Till we meet again. (laughs) Thank you.